1: Yeah, I was reminded today that uh, we were going to um, periodically check back in with Tori Van Ute, but but uh, since the uh, tragedy that happened in Burnsville, we thought we'd check in with her today just to see uh, how the legislature uh, is consuming this news and whether or not it'll uh, change any uh, or create any new bills or direction for some public safety measures. So Tori Van Ute, uh, from Axios joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Tori, thank you very much. That is the first answer. I guess, how is this news, how has it impacted uh, lawmakers at the Capitol? And is there any signs right now that uh, there could be some... Any kind of legislation resulting from this? I don't know what that would be, but uh, well, how is this uh, being impacted there in St. Paul?
2: Yeah, I mean, the immediate reaction yesterday was really what we've seen across the metro and state, which was just kind of shock shock and grief. Um, there were moments of silence in both chambers yesterday, uh, particularly heard from some of the members from uh, Burnsville who represent the Burnsville area. And, you know, there's a number of state legislators who have in law enforcement or first responders or who are married to a firefighter paramedic or first responder. And so really some heartfelt, you know, from the heart responses there. There is one representative who was a member of the Burnsville Police Department for, mm-hmm. for years as well. So it really, you know, underscored how tragedies like this hit communities and hit, you know, home to so many, so many people. Um you know, as for political impacts, uh, the first, you know, impact was there was a slight delay on, um, or a practical matter on the school resource officer bill we've talked about. I yep. think, uh, according to Senate Democrats, there was supposed to be a hearing, um, and law enforcement requested, for obvious reasons, you know, a delay in that. So I don't know that this tragedy really impacts that legislation. Technically, specifically, um, but it'll certainly bring to the forefront issues around uh, supporting law enforcement, you know, that sort of thing. And another thing we're kind of watching is there was a plan for a bill kind of ruminating before the session to address um, mandatory minimums for uh, banning people with felony convictions from having a firearm. Mm-hmm. And a DFL lawmaker wanted to roll those back and kind of put it in judges and prosecutors' hands to decide if and when, you know, after a conviction to restore someone's gun rights. Um, This would seem to make that legislation, which probably already faced long odds, have an even more complicated path. Because we know in this case that this was some alleged shooter, uh, who killed himself as part, you know, in in, in the standoff as yep. well, uh, was not permitted to have firearms. Correct. Uh, due to a felony conviction, and had actually had actually petitioned a judge to get them back, mm-hmm. and had been rejected. And so, you know, that's just another example of where policy may intersect, in and in an issue like this brings some of those debates back to the forefront.
1: Yeah, I want, and even like the the school resource officer uh, issue yeah. too. I, I you you wonder because clearly, as rightly so, uh, and sadly, uh, when something like this happens, we do rally around our first responders and our police officers, and you wonder if that maybe would change some minds and at least how they view. Having you know that issue of the, which again there's still a lot of people that have problems with it, but having police officers mm-hmm. on site and the, and their ability to keep the peace in those schools, it'll be interesting to see if that changes any minds uh, in the in the short term.
2: Yeah, there. I mean, two different uh, school resource officers, and this are two different issues. But I think you're right that I yeah. think it will uh, increase. Uh, you know, not in this immediate aftermath where things are very raw and rightly so focused on the family, the victims and their families. But I think you will see increased political pressure uh, to come up with a solution uh, that is perceived as supportive of the law enforcement of the schools. Now, you still will have critics of that school resource officer bill who don't who worry that it's going to be watered down as part mm-hmm. of this process and are very concerned about that. But um, the political dynamics certainly will uh, shift. And you see the same thing, any type of gun violence, right? You kind of yeah. often see in the wake of mass shootings, and things like that, more political momentum for uh, addressing an issue. Um, how that ultimately shakes out, you know, we'll see. And, and the School of Resource Officer is something that is more likely than not going to require bipartisan support. And so... Um, you know it may uh, it just increase pressure to to get something done on that front.
1: other issues uh, happening at the Capitol, I see that uh, milk now free milk may be part of the uh, the free uh, lunch program,
2: yeah, yeah. so as we know, we've talked about a lot the universal f- uh, free meals, uh, all kids, regardless of their family's income in Minnesota. And now have breakfast or lunch without paying. It's been a popular program in the polls and in terms of participation. Uh, and now some Democrats want to update it to make sure that you can have just milk. So if you bring your PB&J from home or whatever you like to pack from home, you can get a carton of milk free of charge. Uh, what we're hearing from the sponsors of this proposal uh, is that the way the law was written because of the kind of complex complexity of reimbursements in school meals in order for a meal to count for a school to get it reimbursed. The kid has to take it all. (laughs) You got to take the pizza. You got to take the apple. You got to take the milk. And so what was happening, the author of this bill says uh, is that kids are showing up with their sandwich or whatever they brought from home, wanting a milk. And so they're taking a whole meal and throwing it out. Uh. Uh, just to get the milk. Uh, this is what some school districts are reporting. Not all school districts are reporting this, but some are reporting it. We don't know quite how widespread it is, but the author of this says, you know, this is an effort to just clear up confusion, make sure kids have access to the, this nutritious drink under this proposal, and cut down on food waste. Um, the catch, Adam, is we've also talked about, this program has already been a lot more expensive <laughs> than yes. uh, we thought. You know, it's like $80 million more than expected in the first two years because of more kids than they anticipated were taking advantage of the free lunch and um, food costs more, right? <laughs> food yeah. costs going up. And so what we don't know yet is the price tags, And so that's going to be something we'll be watching is how much more do they think it'll cost um, to add the milk for free.
0: Just milk for
1: free. You know, and again, obviously you're, you're reporting on it. I can have the opinion on this. But it's, it seems yeah. to me ridiculous that, first of all, that the price tag wasn't specifically known before this happened. And and I get it. Food prices changed. But to not have an idea of, like, how many kids are going to be using it. And then now, okay, well, if you take a milk, you got to take the whole meal. I mean, it just seems a little ridiculous. And it, and on a topic that really shouldn't have been that controversial, you know, feeding kids. Hey, that's a good, it's a good concept. But it just seems to me like it is a lot of different topics. When government get involved, gets involved, they screw it up.
2: <laughs> it's definitely complicated. I mean, there's something reimbursement for it, a lot of these rules, and it's actually a federal ruler guideline that right. like guided that. Um, so, yes, and you know what we heard from Republicans last week was, "Look, this sounds like a great idea, but how much is it going to cost?" And of course, all of those elements that you pointed to are going to make it even harder to figure out how right. much it costs. Because, well, are you going to have, be serving fewer meals and co- spend less on meals if a lot of kids just want the milk? Um, and, yeah, they, I mean, they did come up with the estimates based on participation, like, during the pandemic when the federal government footed the bill for everyone's lunch. But, again, it's been higher than they expected, and some critics of the program as run or as implemented have raised the question you did, which is, why didn't we just budget this based on, you know, 100% of kids participating, just to be sure. And and as we talked about, you know, $80 million, you may sound like, oh, that's a sneeze, that's pocket change in the context of a $72 billion budget. Well, lawmakers don't have very much wiggle room this year because of the state of the surplus. And we'll get an update on that next week. But, you know, there's really... Uh, not a lot of money to play with here uh, in terms of adding costs. So we'll see, but this was a very politically popular program for Democrats. So especially in an election year for the house, uh, I think you may see them wanted uh, tout expanding it even more. You know, the polling shows that a lot of parents, a lot of people are happy with it. Um, You know, they get the free lunch. Nothing's really free. Taxpayers are paying for it, but, uh, uh, but we'll see. And my question was, all these kids who want the milk—like—is this chocolate milk? <laughs> but I, mean, I don't know. Nobody had that answer for me. Well,
1: no, when I was in, I had the lunch. I had lunch tickets, and we had milk tickets too. Where you'd have your milk oh, yeah. ticket, and yes, I would always go for the chocolate milk, of course. But
2: yeah, but maybe your listeners will know context, and if they're hearing about, you know, we're just hearing secondhand from lawmakers and school district, um, yeah, you know, association, nutrition association lobbyists that. Kids are throwing out the meals, but maybe your maybe your listeners know whether that's happening. Yeah,
1: so. by all means, six five one four six one nine two two six. So, uh, lastly, before we let you go, I see uh, you highlighted uh, this uh, documentary about uh, Josie Johnson, and anybody, it is Black History Month still, and Josie Johnson is a name very familiar uh, to uh, Black activists and, and civil rights. And there's a new documentary that highlights uh, her and her efforts in this state.
2: There is from Twitter, uh PBS, and it just aired uh, last Monday night, so la- last night, and it's available on the app. And it's a really interesting story. It looks at all, you know, Josie Johnson was a, a, a freedom fighter, participated in the civil rights me- movement, uh, pushed for fair housing and anti-discrimination laws here in Minnesota, and also really made a mark at the U of M. Uh, she was the first black regent mm-hmm. and, and did a lot in terms of um you know promoting diversity and equity at, at the University of Minnesota and she's still with us she's in her 90s 93 uh, yep and yeah and there's an interview from just last year in the documentary with her as she was being honored and so uh it's really a valuable story and and the producer of it said you know I really hope that this inspires a new generation of young people and activists to kind of fight for continue fighting for civil rights issues and and her path of, you know, doing kind of protests, direct action, and also working in the halls of the legislature and the University of Minnesota, that kind of dual path he he of appointed to. So so check it out.
1: Thanks, Tori. Appreciate it. Have a great right. week. Thanks, Adam. Yep. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Tori Van Oot from Axios.